1: We are live. Uh, there we go. Hi everyone. Uh, happy Tuesday. We are we have Dr. Paul is back. We are going to hey. get right into it. Uh, hello, hello. I've made a, a whole list of a ton of questions that the members have for you. <laughs> First thing I want to say is congrats uh, on the new baby, the new addition to the family. She's beautiful. I've seen the photos. How we, how are you doing? How she's doing? How's mom doing?
2: Thanks. You know, all the above are doing great. You know, thank God it's uh, delivery went well. She's breastfeeding. Well, she got home within the day. Our midwives have been awesome. Uh, and so, so far, everything is kind of going along plan. And, you know, to be honest, I have to give full credit to my wife because the amount of preparation that she did and actually even not just physically, because it's obviously, you know, you take your prenatals, you take your omega threes, high DHA, all that stuff from a nutritional perspective is helpful. Yeah but she was also doing stuff from like a mindset perspective. She was listening to birth story podcasts almost every single day. And I'm just, I was just so impressed how she just got into the zone of being like, you know what, this is what my body's meant to do. And um, yeah. it's exactly manifested that way.
1: Yeah. There's a lot you can do to be proactive, you know, when, when it comes to your birth. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. We should, uh, We should have a conversation about that sometime. I would love to talk more about that. Love to talk more. Yeah,
2: there's, and these are things that I think there are a lot of people that have gone through the, that are in your group that have gone through it themselves. They've had varying birth experiences and maybe some of them are trying to lose weight after giving birth. And now they're trying to be like, how do I get myself back on track? And maybe they're, Uh, thinking about having another baby Uh, and so there's a lot of lot of cool things to think about and consider that I think would be really helpful to all those members
1: you know I love that because I think that women we underestimate how long it takes for our bodies to truly bounce back after a birth like do you have any insight on that like everything from like up to five years like it must be very draining on our body in one sense our bodies are working hard we're growing whole humans inside us but in another sense, it must be really draining. And what would the recovery be like that? Like, what's the real, like, what's the recovery on that?
2: Well, you know, that's interesting because if you talk to, you know, an obs guy, uh, you know, they'd say, well, you know, as soon as the mom feels better. And, you know, for my wife with my uh, second son, it, it was literally the next day, she was walking around in Sherway mall, like, you know, three days after, and she then realized, that now, sorry, now realize that that was a mistake, because yeah. even though you physically may feel really good, there is a, a really um, kind of a deeper healing that needs to happen on not just tissues, but also emotionally. So, yeah. you know, um, we we did definitely go through some postpartum with some past kids. And that was a lot to do with, again, um, not taking care of yourself. So one thing that we really want to do this time is that we wanted to give my wife, a total kind of pampering for the net for the two weeks after where she's like, you know what, I'm going to a lot of cultures have this have this observance as well, stay in bed for, or in and around the bed to create that relationship with your baby, to create that breastfeeding connection. A lot of moms are like, all right, I'm just like, I feel okay. So I'm like back on it, back at it. And then they feel like they kind of have to, because they have other kids, they have other responsibilities. And so I think there definitely is an emotional recovery that needs to happen. There's definitely a physical recovery Luckily for my wife, I think because of a lot of the preparation that we did, she didn't have a lot of kind of collateral damage that happens uh, Mm -hmm. structurally, which can definitely be a big issue. Uh, And so I I think to answer your question, the recovery, uh, depending on what you're considering, but I think we need to look at it as that first month has to be extremely focused on you and making that connection with the baby. And even though you feel like you could. And then I think just from a nutritional perspective, Gina, you, um, you give the baby and I have heard some percentages. I don't, there's no research that I've, that I've seen on, so I don't want to throw it out there, but I've heard that, you know, a percentage of your nutrients as a mom go into the baby. Yeah. a Percentage of your toxicity goes into the baby, like stuff mm-hmm. that you've accumulated stuff that maybe um, you know, we don't think about. Yeah. Uh, and because remember, and then also think about breastfeeding. If you're breastfeeding, that is an incredible additional strain on your nutrient load. So yeah. after you give birth, and before you wanna you know give birth, I think it's really important to really increase those trace minerals, these fatty acids, um, uh, like you know things like phosphatidylcholine. These are good fats that the research shows that women are deficient yeah. of childbearing age.
1: Yeah, well, I would imagine, you know, a lot of us are deficient from having kids. We have a lot of new moms in the group, which was why I asked. And not not only that, but the, the pressure to bounce back like, yeah. the, you know, physically, mentally get back to work, you know, get, you know, drop that, or, you know, get back to the weight that we were like, it's a lot. It's a lot. Okay. Yeah. I love that conversation. Let's, let's definitely build on that and, and, and revisit sure. that. Um, I want to talk to supplements in general. People got a lot of questions, um, what to do. First of all, how long can they take them? Should they be taking a break, um, in between groups? Should they keep taking them or stop taking them after they're done losing weight? Um, should they be switching them up? Should they be changing the dough. So just all of that. Let's have a conversation about all of that. Let's, let's talk about um, what to do with the, with them after they've done the program.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've always kind of had this uh, principle that you don't want to be doing the same supplements for years on end. And, uh, there is a a term in medicine, um, and in, in general in life called diminishing returns, which basically is the longer you do something, the same exact thing. Like for Mm -hmm. example, if you do the same exercise at the same way, at the same repetition, eventually your muscles are going to adapt and you're not going to really get the benefit. And the same principle applies to your nutrients. I think, Gina,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, we see this a lot, especially in herbs, So when you, for example, if you took the same dose of that same herb uh, for, you know, let's say for six months, eventually the body will kind of get the benefit of it and it really won't get any additional benefit. And um, you may need to switch the type of herb up that you take. You may need to change the dose. And so that's where um, some of those recommendations might come in where I've said on past episodes where it's like, you know what, I need, uh, I think it's a good idea at this point, if you've been taking the same probiotic for the last three months, maybe take a break on it, especially if you don't have any, you know, digestive issues that that probiotic is doing a specific job addressing. If you overall feel good, and you overall don't have a symptom in that particular area, like for example, gut health with probiotics, then take a break and see how your body feels. Because my principle, and I think a general principle in naturopathic medicine is that you basically want to use nutrition as your maintenance. And then supplements are exactly that. They supplement. Yeah. And so take a break, see how your body feels. uh, Let's say after a month, after you've done the program, you've had weight loss, you've had success, take a break and then you can evaluate if you feel like you want to restart things in the next session. A lot of people that have gone through the program and I'd love to hear your take on this too, but they definitely, I've seen this with patients where they're like, you know what? I don't want to change a thing because those supplements were what did it. <laughs> and I don't want to change it. And, yeah. um, I don't know if you hear that because we yes. get, get really fixated on not changing any of the variables that they perceived were what caused their success. So I don't yeah, know what you think about that. I think
1: it's important to let people know that just because you stopped taking, like they were, they were supplementing, they were, they were, um, doing a job that you needed them to do while you were focused on losing weight now that you've lost the weight, if you take them out, you're not going to gain weight back. None That's of those right. things. In fact, I want to talk to you about, you know, what you might like, and this is what we're going to talk about in the maintenance group, you know, now that you've lost your weight, what what are supplements that you can add into work on elevating your health and wellness in other areas, yeah. perhaps like, you know, do you know? So I want to make it very clear. We're not expecting anyone to take these supplements for life, and you do not need to take them in order to maintain your weight. They were helpful right. while you're trying to lose weight, but definitely, I think once you've reached your goal, you want you want to evaluate. Not only that, that but people can take a break in between groups, like you've suggested in the past. It's it's good yeah. just in general to take a break from them for for yeah. for physically, physical and mental reasons.
2: Yeah, so I I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little case study. I just had a patient email me this morning. Um, gone through the group, had some success in weight loss. We've been working on some things. Uh, and they, we started working on some uh, particular foods that might have been causing some additional issues. So we okay. removed that for them. Um, and so we basically looked at some of the supplements that they were doing as being like, we, maybe we don't need to do all of them because these areas of your health are doing really well. Um, and you know, do you have any cardiovascular issues and maybe CoQ10 is not going to be something that needs to be continued. So during a time where you're like, you know what, I'm on vacation or I'm doing something else uh, related to my health. Maybe I don't need to do that, that exact protocol. I can just switch things up to focus on that new goal. Or there is definitely a thing to just take a total break. Like you said, you know, yeah. I think in generally in life and and my response back to this person because they were like, well, you know, I didn't, I haven't lost any more weight. Um, you know, I'm. is it because I'm taking out these foods? Not necessarily. That is one particular thing that we, that you tried. And that doesn't mean that um, that was totally useless. Maybe that just has nothing to do with your weight loss. Yeah. And that's just, again, going based on, what a person presents with. And then you have you move on to the next thing of being mm-hmm. like, okay, what else could there be an issue that is an obstacle? Right. Um, and so that's a lot of what I do with people that have gone through the program is that we kind of troubleshoot all day long yeah. of like, what are your obstacles? Um, and the final point that I think is, I really wanted to drive home here is that sometimes when you feel like you're leveling up some things, um, if it comes along with a lot of stress, like, for example, like I'm just working with a personal trainer, I'm going to like level up my fitness, but is that driving your stress levels higher as being one of the obstacles? Maybe Mm -hmm. take a moment and reflect that for this particular person. Um, were they, you know, were they really stressing about, you know, there's cord starch in this particular thing. Is that now going to further increase their stress hormones and actually become an obstacle? And so maybe (laughs) like consider that. And, and, and it seemed like based on their response, um, this might be something that started off as being a really good thing might've actually ended up being something that was almost like an obstacle that, that was created.
1: Yeah, we don't, we don't want, we don't want people to be stressing out over their supplements. Also, it's really important that people understand what they're taking and why they are taking it. Not just I'm taking all these things. I don't know why I know they're helping me with weight loss, but if you know what you're taking and why that's where you can get into making adjustments, assess what's working, what's not working, what you might want to switch up and change. What would you, uh, what would you leave in? If you could take like the top three supplements, what would you leave in? What would you leave in?
2: Yeah, I love that question. You know, that's a really, really good one because a lot of people probably are thinking about this as they're moving into maintenance phase. Mm -hmm. Like, what do I really need to do? So I absolutely think that during the winter, vitamin D would be a reasonable thing to do. And then also uh, with the addition of vitamin K. And so I don't know if we've talked about vitamin K before. Vitamin D3, if you look at your carton of milk at home, it'll have vitamin D fortified, but it's actually vitamin D2 and that's a plant. It's actually a mushroom-based vitamin D. It's not as bioavailable, but vitamin D three and then vitamin K two, and but they are synergistic, Gina. And so, if you're looking at again maintenance, a lot of formulations now have K two and D three in them together. So, if your levels, you've tested your levels uh, with your doctor, and your love vitamin D levels are fine, and you're on a maintenance dose of vitamin D, maybe not in the summer right now, where you're getting nice uh, natural vitamin D if you're out in the sun bikini for about 20 minutes, you're going to make 10,000 IU's of vitamin D. And so that right. should have your bases covered in the summer and okay. in the winter doing a supplement with vitamin D and K2 okay. would be a good option. Um, magnesium absolutely is number two on the list.
1: Now would you um, switch we 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 suggest the citrate but th- is this where you would switch it maybe to a, a bisglycinate or a different kind of magnesium
2: A lot of people on the program they use the natural calm right Gina so they're going to be using a powder that they you know that they take at night uh, uh, my my recommendation between magnesium citrate or magnesium glycinate or any other types of magnesium, there's, there's a number of other ones out yeah. there that are pretty good, yeah. um, really come down to what's easiest for you to comply with. So some people some people are, they come in and they'll tell me, you know, what, I, I really love that mag It's a ritual. Yeah. I do it. I do my little like lemon juice with ginger or whatever they do in that night. Great. Keep that. There's no reason that you can't do that. And there's also no reason you can't take that magnesium at other parts of the day. A lot of times you're like, no, hold yes. on. Gina said it's supposed to be for sleep. Yes. Magnesium oh, yeah. helps you go to sleep, but it's not like it knocks you out.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not like sleeping. Your body's ready
2: for it. So it just kind of like pushes you down that pathway. Right. It's not yes, like, it's yeah. like, you're like going to be passed out if you take it in the morning. Yeah. So yeah. In the morning, maybe if you're getting a tremendous amount of loose stools, which some people do break yeah. up the dose, well, then yeah. maybe you don't need a, those two heaping scoops and you get a, you know, morning bathroom visit. That's pretty aggressive. Maybe yeah. you need to do, you know, a, a divided dose. I've done that yeah. before. Yep. Yeah and then some people are like you know what i'm just kind of like over the you know i don't love the taste or i'm kind of like over that whole thing it's a bit inconvenient i'm on the go i'm at the cottage whatever i'm doing in the summer then take a magnesium uh glycinate or bisglycinate they're both the same thing in case you're wondering Uh, and you can just take a couple capsules uh in the evening and then one in the morning the more you sweat the more you're using your muscles the more magnesium you need Along okay. with minerals like potassium and then trace minerals. So I would say those two are like really foundational. And finally, omega-3s yeah. are the other ones that I would say is like, you know, there's just so much good research showing that they decrease all causes of death, period. You're, if you are in the lowest, basically, if you have the highest amount of omega-3 in your um, cellular membrane, which is, at, you know, roughly around 10%, uh, or, or even greater than seven, you have the lowest risk of dying of anything, cardiovascular disease, stroke and dementia. And so omega threes, I think are really important. Also good to take a break once in a while yeah. and change things up. But I would say as a maintenance one, those three Gina are the top metals.
1: Ah, oh, yeah. Those would be my top three. Is there anything that we don't talk about that you would consider uh, that you would suggest people adding in?
2: No, you know what I always talk about with patients is that I always want everybody after they've gone through a program like yours, or they see me as a patient, they should have kind of like a a natural apothecary or pharmacy at home. What are your go-to things that you need to have in case something happens? And in there, top of the list would be a probiotic. So if your digestive system is fine and you don't have any symptoms and you, you tolerate most foods really, really well. But having a probiotic in case something does happen really quickly, like, you know, what, my stools all of a sudden got loose. I didn't I ate something that probably wasn't the greatest. Well, then taking a probiotic for a week will do a great job of normalizing things. Okay. Uh, what about for pain? So if if sometimes you get a headache, well, then turmeric or curcumin would be a really great option to have in your apothecary. Uh, What about if you get a cold or sniffle? What is your go to? Uh, you know, everybody, and, and there's not just one thing, Gina, like, for example, some people love zinc and vitamin C, which is fine, but also vitamin D uh, and probiotics are some specific probiotics. Now you can get that are immune specific. There are strains hmm. that are different. Okay. And so you can maybe look around that. So what are you, I want everyone listening to reflect, what are your predispositions? What are things that really affect you? that you that you need maybe they're not affecting you every single day but more regularly like some people mean like you know i'm predisposed to getting um, sinus infections so mm. for that person maybe doing something like n-acetylcysteine which is an amino acid that has some benefit for the upper respiratory tract might be a good option these are things you would obviously discuss with your naturopathic doctor to kind of help guide you like what do, what is my acute care kit right away that I need in case something goes off the rails, I can get myself back on quick because there's nothing like being thrown off for a loop to get off a plan or a program. Oh, you know yeah. what? I got this infection for a month. If you have UTIs, yeah. there's some great probiotics and some nutrients that help produce that. So that, I think that at this point, that's where I would go with that.
1: Great. Yeah, we should have these conversations in the maintenance group. You got to come on in the maintenance group. These are exactly the kind of conversations that we can have over there. Um, a lot of the products say stop. Don't you? Don't take longer for twelve weeks or consult your okay. physician. What What do you say about that?
2: That's Health Canada telling you that there's no. They haven't studied this for longer than that. And okay. you know, that's not me whispering in Health Canada's ear because I I believe that you know you should be taking a break at three months. There are some things that you need to take longer than three months, and I okay. I say that to patients all the time. Mm-hmm. most things as a rule of thumb three months is, is a good limit and uh, it will say it'll say some things don't take longer than two weeks for example yeah. there's some herbs for example that's again yeah. because the research shows that this particular herb for cold and flu has been studied only for that time and so yeah it's that's not like it's going to become toxic at that point mm-hmm. so people don't have to worry about that if they take it a little bit shorter a little bit longer that's totally fine Yeah.
1: okay good uh... I also want to talk one more thing about the magnesium, the citrate, because sure. people I've read that you can become dependent on it.
2: Yeah. So a lot of people, um, if they're using it for moving their stools, yeah, they get, you know, if you don't really change anything other than the magnesium, if you stop taking it, you might still be constipated after. And so the perception is that I'm dependent on it, yep. but that's not, there's a difference between I'm addicted or I'm, um, when I say addicted, I mean, there's a receptor change that's happens somewhere in the body um that does not happen with magnesium it's like the, the the effect kind of you know you need to continue that will happen with something like melatonin that will happen with something like senna which is some use for constipation you know like senacot maybe people have heard that it's a laxative and that works on a different mechanism totally different than magnesium they both address constipation but this is now working on particular receptors that help move the digestive tract and you could get What's called habituated to that, Gina. And so magnesium doesn't have that same effect.
0: This is-
1: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Flora on my list, but since you mentioned it, melatonin. And someone was asking about 5-HTP for sleep and then melatonin. What are your thoughts on... On melatonin intake yeah
2: so it's interesting yesterday uh i just saw on on my medical news update that i get on a weekly basis is that the in the last kind of five years melatonin poisonings in kids have actually gone up exponentially yeah okay um, and that has a lot to do with the fact that melatonin has become more popular Gina, it's available and people need to respect supplements in the same way they respect drugs you can overdose especially if a kid takes something uh you know uh, one of the some of the more dangerous ones are things like iron that's why there is like a child cap on a lot of the iron supplements because that's why
1: we don't talk about iron we don't talk about we don't talk about iron around here
2: and a yeah. lot of people are deficient, so a lot of people need it, and it's just a very—it's a very common thing. It's—it's it's a very common nutrient that it can be lying around the house. So melatonin is something that's helpful for sleep. It's helpful for getting people to sleep. It's helpful for resetting the circadian rhythm. I use it a lot therapeutically, short term. But I find if you're if you're needing melatonin or you feel like you're using it for more than a month or two, then you're kind of missing the underlying issue, or it's not really addressing that. Okay. So it's meant to be like a short-term reset. traveling is a short-term thing i have shift work i can use it at that time i have trouble falling asleep it's really helpful for that Um, i do find there's a huge difference between types of melatonin out there gina there's you know liquids sprays there's capsules there's stuff for five bucks there's stuff for 20 bucks different doses um, lowest dose possible and i prefer a spray or liquid because it gets into the body faster it peaks around one or 2 AM. If you're going to bed at 12 and you're taking melatonin, you're probably going to have it hanging around your system and you're going to wake up feeling groggy. Mm. And so that's what the biggest complaint people have about melatonin is that, it, oh, you know what? I feel really hung over. that's probably because you took it way too late. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, we, we did this post that I did after a conversation with you Four reasons why your weight might be slow to move inflammation, food sensitivities, gut issues dysbiosis and hormonal health so let's do a run through of those because at at this point in the program uh, you know people are more aware of their bodies they're understanding Mm -hmm. you know understanding their body's response the program the process they're doing all of these things how would someone know if they have inflammation and how would inflammation be affecting their journey and what can they do about it
2: yeah inflammation is one of those words that everyone throws around now because it's now getting a lot more attention as one of the key underlying risk factors for all health issues right. uh, inflammation can mean a lot of different things you know and so there, there are like four or five main subtypes of inflammation uh, you know one of them is autoimmune inflammation so I just had a patient that found out about me through again through the group recently and and we kind of figured out that they had um, high levels of inflammatory markers so one simple way of knowing do you have inflammation is you can have your family doctor tests some very basic markers and unfortunately in this particular, uh, person's case, they had high levels of these markers, Gina, uh, and they were dismissed by their family doctor. They were just said, you know what, this is not an issue. They even sent them to a rheumatologist, which is a doctor specializing in inflammation and autoimmune inflammation specifically. And the response was, well, you're not high enough. We're really not going to like, you know, um, worry about it. So that's a common response, unfortunately. Yeah. And so we, um, you know, that particular type of inflammation absolutely could be a limiting factor because you it's your body's immune system attacking your own tissue. And so that is going to cause any, sort it's going to cause damage and any sort of inflammation is necessary. The body has to process that. And so if your body is under that type of inflammation, weight loss is a secondary priority for it. It's trying to deal with that particular inflamed tissue. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are, there's gut related inflammation. This is the connection to foods. And that's why I do look at food sensitivities because foods, just like anything that you breathe, like for example, pollen can create an allergic inflammatory response in the body. And if you have a lot of those, that type of inflammation, then you're going to be puffy. You're going to be swollen. Your joints are going to be tender and stiff. When you wake up in the morning, you're going to feel like, you know, a lot of people will tell me, I feel like I'm 80, but I'm actually 45 in terms of the symptoms. So these are all little signs and things that will tell you, you know what, there's some inflammation happening. Um, The typical symptoms also are things like, you know, redness, um, skin issues that keep coming up, um, joints that are tender. This is another type of allergic inflammation. Yeah. So, I mean, all these signs and symptoms plus blood blood testing, plus pain in terms of uh, that specific type of symptom is all an indicator that inflammation could be present uh, and could be potentially an obstacle to you losing in your weight and getting to your health goal.
1: And I think a big one too, is that people think inflammation, they think body, it also affects your brain and your body's whole messaging and communication system as well. Right. So it's not just your body and your
2: fog is one too, that, that could be inflammation, but it could also be hormones. So if you've hit that menopausal year or you're before your menopause and you feel like you're always in a fog, well, that could definitely be a hormonal issue, but it also could be an inflammatory issue. I, right. uh, you know, I've had people, um, you know, anybody that has a migraine that uh, will tell you that, you know, there's probably certain foods that they eat that make that migraine worse. Yeah. Well, how does a food make your migraine worse? Well, there's the connection between your gut and your brain. We've talked about this before. There's a very powerful um, signaling pathway through some nerves between the gut and the brain, but also the other way of signaling is through inflammation. This is a, this is what inflammation is. It's a signaling molecule trying to tell the body, Hey, this area needs to be healed. And so just cause you've taken out foods and you've done been gluten free in the past, doesn't mean that you don't have other sensitivities. Doesn't mean you have don't have other allergies, or doesn't mean that you don't have other types of inflammation that aren't food related, let's say as an example. So a lot of people get very fixated on, well, I've cut out dairy and gluten and that's not, that, that isn't, didn't do anything for me. I'm like, okay, so let's explore other potential reasons that this inflammation could be happening. There could be other ones.
1: So basically inflammation, food sensitivities, gut issues, and hormonal health, they're all very much connected and cause very much connected.
2: That's so that's very, very, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. It's very intuitive because If your gut is off, you're going to have more propensity for inflammation. Why? Because most of your immune system finds out what's itself and what's harmful external in the gut. That's where this, what's called immune tolerance happens. Mm -hmm. So if your digestive system is problematic and when I mean problematic, I mean, um, are there particular bacteria or um, things like, you know, obviously the worst case scenario are things like H. pylori or parasites. These are very Mm -hmm. obvious but there could be subtle things like SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or even some candida accumulation, which is not something that everybody has Unlike some other naturopathic doctors have, but there's some people do genuinely have it. And that can cause things like brain fog, Gina, and symptoms of like joint pains. I've seen people that their symptoms of pain go away once you treat the gut. And no matter what you do, You are not going to get anywhere until you actually address that. So the body does have this strong gut inflammation and, and, and symptom connection.
1: And I imagine stress just makes it all just worse.
2: (laughs) That's the other huge one, right? Like, I mean, uh, you know, if you're stressed, your digestive system is not going to function well. Anybody that has IBS knows that, you know, if like I'm under, I'm under more stress, my IBS flares up. Why is that again? Because there's a communication between the brain and the gut and the nerves. There are more nerves in the gut than there are actually in the brain, which is actually kind of mind boggling. Think about it.
1: That's crazy. So
2: yeah, it's uh, it, it, there's a huge connection there with stress and, and, um, you know, it, it, stress and inflammation are these really kind of thrown around terms like, Oh, you're under stress. Like you're, uh, I I I've, I've used, I've seen that as a huge cop-out from family doctors. Um, you know, I have these issues, doctor, um, well, help me figure out, no, no you're under stress, go home and relax. And and, and it's kind of like people feel dismissed when they, when they are being told that, Yeah. but in, in the same token, stress actually may be a big issue for you. But uh, I think just dismissing it and saying, you know, go relax and, 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 and take a couple of deep breaths or practice meditation can be really disempowering for people because they feel like they're not really being listened to. Yeah. So there are some nuances with stress. Is it, I'm not getting enough sleep. Am I not able to recover? Maybe I'm in a stressful relationship. Well, how are they supposed to relax from that? They're living with this person, their whole, their, all the yeah. time. Yeah. So there are other strategies that need to happen. So um, are you working with a counselor? Are you working with a psychologist? Are you practicing mindfulness? Are you trying to, at least maybe you can't meditate. Maybe you need to do some, you know, some, maybe you're religious and you want to do some prayer. And that yeah. is a, that's a, a way of focusing your meditation rather than just clearing your mind. Maybe you just do deep breathing and that's a strategy at that A lot of my patients find incredibly helpful. So um, I don't want to be dismissive about people with stress, but it is a huge thing, just like inflammation.
1: What about the other side of that? When people say, well, I'm not stressed. Like, I I don't know how you're living on the planet, not being stressed. Have you met someone who's not stressed? Like, have you ever met anyone who's not stressed?
2: I mean, I like to pride myself that I'm not stressed, but (laughs) (laughs)
1: you have like four kids, man. No way you're not stressed.
2: No, but that's a really good point because there are people that handle stress differently. And so remember the, 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 a lot of people don't realize this, but there's a recipe for stress, Gina. And, Mm. and when I, when we say stress, we often really consider, we, we always think it's like the big issues and people of associating stress with anxiety. So those two things are not the same,
0: Mm.
2: not be anxious, but still be under a lot of stress, meaning that you're, you're boss is breathing down your neck. You have a lot of these external stressors. And if your body keeps feeling like, you know what? I can cope with this. Then your, your brain will not perceive that as stressful, but yeah. as soon as you, that, that threshold is reached being like, it's unpredictable. Uh, something happens like, uh, that is unforeseen, like a car accident, for example, that can throw a person over that threshold. That all of a sudden it becomes perceived mm. as stressful. So stress is all about your perception. And some people have higher tolerance of that. And some people have lower tolerance of that. So that's why, um, you know, stress is different for every person. And you can't just say same person, same situation has equal stress. Some (laughs) people might have that manifested as anxiety and insomnia. And some people like, for example, myself, I'm a somaticizer. So my body feels it, but I actually feel really calm and placid from a mental perspective.
1: Yeah. Like when I look back, you know, with everyone's like, how'd you do what you did and kids and being a single mom and all that. And I used to say I was in denial. If you would have asked me if I was stressed, I would have said no. And and it's not really until recently in reflecting on it. I think how the hell did I even do that? I must have been like hella stressed. But I was like, I think I was living in denial that didn't really allow me to recognize the fact that I was stressed because I just couldn't do anything about anything. I just had to do what I needed to do, you know? So I think a lot of times we don't even recognize it because I wasn't like, oh my God. I was like, if you asked anyone who knew me, oh, Gina's so chill. Everything just, you know, rolls off her back. Like, she's just like, you're so calm all the time. Now I'm not, but back then I was, you know? And, And that's the way people would describe me. But, and that's probably what I went off of. But now that I reflect back, I'm like, oh my God, how did I survive that, you know?
2: I mean, this is a fascinating conversation because one of the areas I'm super interested in is resilience, especially around COVID. I have young kids. How do I build resilience in my kids? Yeah. Um, Because one of the, if you just look at all the research that was coming out even pre-COVID, but now definitely after it's it's magnified that is is how do people uh, deal with, stress and what 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 are the factors that make people better copers and what are factors that don't um and there are many and 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 that's not necessarily something we have to get into but um definitely a lot of it is could be denial with people where um they are under stress and they're just so used to it that they're just like whatever it's normal but then they realize and like well, I don't get a deep sleep. I feel really tired in the mornings. Uh, you know, I, I, take no time for myself cause I can, I'm like trying to work 10 different jobs and, 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 and that is your normal. And yeah. that is something a person might be able to cope with Gina for a decade, but what happens after that? And then they're wondering why they have, they're burnt out or they have depression or they have a really terrible menopause that kicks in because, your ovaries start, stop producing hormones and your adrenal system has to take over. And your yeah. adrenal system is your stress shock absorber. So your yeah. body is designed with this shock absorber, but some people, if that stress continues, that shock absorber gets worn out and eventually there come, may come a point where you're like, I just can't cope anymore. And I used to, is that age? Is that deficiencies or yeah. it could be just that your body's adrenal system that helps us adapt is can't keep up with the load anymore.
1: I want to talk about menopause that you just said there because my here's my take on it. Because women are like, why is it so hard to lose weight when you're in menopause? I don't think it's hard to lose weight when you're in menopause. I think that the reason why you're menopause, you're mm-hmm. having such issues with menopause is because your body's been systematically broken down over the years because you haven't had, taken time. And there are women in other places of the world that don't deal with the same kind of hormonal and menopausal issues that we do sort of here in North America and such. So what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, that's uh, my take similar is that uh, a lot of people... Are very fearful of menopause because they hear their friends, it's you know, it's an awful time. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. That's the yeah. first message. It does not have to be. I've right. had so many patients that are like, oh, I had menopause, my my menses stopped, Then, you know, I life went on, or it was very mild. Yeah. Um, ovaries stop producing estrogen, progesterone, and that doesn't mean you have none of it, it goes down substantially, but your adrenal system does produce maybe 30% of what you had before. So it mm-hmm. does produce estrogen and progesterone over and above the, the other cortisol and DHA hormones and aldosterone and the other ones. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times for people that are trying to look at, what can I do to optimize going into menopause is that you have to look at what system takes over the, the stress and which is literally is the adrenal gland.
1: Adrenals, right? So if you have adrenal fatigue or lack of a better word, your adrenals yeah. are suffering or whatever that might be. Cause we've talked about It's not a thing, but it's a thing like that obviously is playing yeah.
2: a role. Well, to your point, Gina is like, you just were under recovering and, uh, and, and, and kind of regenerating your whole life. And you basically, this just menopause just exposed an underlying metabolic weakness. That's, yes. It's basically uh, it. Now there are some strong genetics to it too. For example, women that have um, moms that have gone to early menopause, you know, they might go to early menopause and they might actually get menopause at 45. Right. Uh, some women do have a predisposition to having poor sleep after menopause uh, for whatever reason and weight gain. And there is definitely a genetic component. Gen- genes are not your destiny, but they right. definitely um, act as a bit of a blueprint for your body to where it might go. And you have play there on what particular expression of those genes you might have um and there's some things you can control to a degree and there's some things that you can't um for example like certain cancer risks you either have that gene or you don't so uh there the message i try to tell women is that if if you do the work up front of trying to do as as, get as healthy as you can pre-menopause then your menopause, you have a better chance to being really smooth um, and, and really transition to that healthy uh, and without is, symptoms.
1: Is there like a, is there like a, a supplement that you could say if, you're, if women are menopausal or suffering that they could take, like there any the adaptive or anything like that yeah. or like take this Is there?
2: Yeah. So like adrenal uh, support is an absolute must for women that are kind of in that perimetopausal pre and then definitely during. Uh, but then additionally, you know, some really basic things, Gina, like a lot of times people are looking for like a really fancy, you know, there are these rhubarb extracts that have been studied for, you know, and there's a whole bunch of other ones, but like, if you just take a really good quality omega-3 and then the difference I would say in menopausal aged women is that you can actually add in something called GLA uh, gamma linoleic acid. So it's an omega, it's actually an omega-6 which um, has research on menopausal symptoms. And even though it's an omega-6, it does have some anti-inflammatory effects. And that has a lot to do with our very kind of basic understanding of like omega-6 bad, omega-3 good. Well, there's some nuances there. And so uh, GLA, which is like evening primrose oil or borage oil, uh, does have benefits on skin, does have benefits on PMS, and which is the hormone connection uh, and some inflammation. For example, rheumatoid arthritis is one that's been studied for. Uh, so that would be like a more maybe doing an omega-3 plus a GLA, uh, and then magnesium is like absolutely. And so if you're not doing it, magnesium, I've seen just doing magnesium massively decrease hot flashes. Hot yeah. flashes are to do with blood vessel spasticity, and so the more we can stabilize our blood vessels, and I've again another another thing I've seen that goes back to those food sensitivities is that some people take out food sensitivities and their hot flashes get better. They they don't you know their energy doesn't change. Their gut doesn't change, but their hot flashes get better. Why? Because those molecules, those allergic inflammatory molecules change the way your blood flows and hot flashes are to do with that, uh, with blood flow. So about, there's, what, yeah, there's so a really, so go ahead. I said, there's just this really neat connection that a lot of people don't consider with foods that they eat and its impact on blood flow. And symptoms like hot flashes, which you would never in a million years think that it's to do with food that I'm eating.
1: What about eggs? Is this where eggs come in?
2: Um, Not necessarily, Gina. Like I I think that's, yeah, some people find that eggs are a food sensitivity for some people. I know they are for me. Uh, You know, like I know I've seen it on many patients, but they also are a great source of protein. And I understand that. That's why it's such a key part of people that are going through the program. But again, you know, if you suspect that, um, you know, try it for, cut it out for two weeks, cut it out for a month and, and see if that makes a difference. There are other options that you can do that. You don't have to eat eggs.
1: Yes. Yeah. Cause we have people asking about eggs with thyroid issues, eggs with uh, hormonal issue, eggs with hot flashes, eggs with this, eggs with that. So really, if you think eggs are, pro- are problematic, take them out.
2: Yeah. Take them out, do a trial, um, and, and cut it out. And, and, you know, that's exactly what I try to do with a lot of patients of, we, we, we get strategic and people get disappointed when they're like, well, I took it out. I felt nothing. That's amazing news. That's awesome. You know, you don't have to actually avoid any of those things. People are like, Oh, Dr. Paul, I didn't lose any weight. I cut all these foods. I'm like, okay, great. So we can eat them and you don't have to worry about it ever again. So we're going to keep looking at what the other issues are because there almost always is an obstacle. I, know. I don't know. I, I, so I just have to laugh about some of these things that people get very kind of. And, you know, it's it's a big deal taking out some of these foods. I don't want to downplay that. It's, no. a, it's like
0: a big
2: challenge for a lot of people. Yeah. But, For all the people that are thinking about that, it's been done and there are people that go their whole lives without eating wheat because they're celiac, for example. So it's doable. doable. It is totally doable. So don't feel like you're the only one that's trying to take out cornstarch and eggs and, and gluten.
1: Okay, let's talk about someone thinks they have gluten issues, they think they have dairy issues. How long do they take it out? Do they have to just take everything out? Like, what what would you tell someone if they were like, I'm going to, I think uh, dairy is causing me to have gut issues or um, gluten is causing this, like, does it have to be all or nothing? And for how long would you suggest they take it out for? Yeah.
2: For most people, it does have to be all or nothing because the immune system has a memory for about three months. Okay. Now, usually, most symptoms will go away within the first couple of weeks, so I uh, usually three weeks is long enough to really try to avoid it. So I recommend taking out as hundred percent as possible. So that does mean, yes, those you know uh, those sour cream chips that you really splurge on—they do have some cream in it or milk products or milk ingredients. A lot of chocolate will have that, for example, even though we know we that's full of sugar and things like that. So, yeah. that's one thing that I would do suggest that you want to do all or none to really get the full the full effect. Um, and if you if you're suspecting multiple things, you can take them all out and then introduce them one at a time because sometimes um, doing one food like totally solo, like I'm just cutting out dairy is good enough uh, for people. But what if you have mul- multiple food sensitivities and you take uh, uh-huh. take it out, um, doing all in the same time, sometimes ends up being more productive in my experience.
1: Yeah. Oh, good point. Because you think I'm taking out dairy. No, that's like, you know, it's it's not it. Meanwhile, y- y- yes, okay, that's such a great point. I wanna go back to something that you said about eczema, when we're talking about inflammation in the body. Because people have been asking about it. Skin issues in general, sure. eczema. We are going to talk about to a skincare expert who, you know, they deal with the outside skin. But what about like internal? Is there something to be said with like, eczema and stuff? You talked about people being itchy and stuff. Would that be a reflection of, of something that's happening inside?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So I just this morning before our call, I was reading an article on rosacea and kind of naturopathic
1: yeah. uh, treatment
2: of rosacea. So, you know, there's things like rosacea. There's things like dermatitis. There's things like uh, eczema. I, you know, there are some underlying key factors for all those conditions. And I I didn't specifically say psoriasis in case you're wondering, because psoriasis is an autoimmune condition that does have some, some similarities about with, with what I'm about to say, but you do have to treat that a little differently, but that there is an autoimmune issue. But when you think about when you actually understand the pathophysiology of something like eczema your body is reacting to a bacteria that's normally on your skin and mm-hmm. it's creating an, an inflammatory response. And in the case of psoriasis, it's like in a lot of autoimmunity that's happening. Okay. And when you think about what I just said earlier about gut and immune tolerance, yeah, your immune system is learning what it should attack and what it should just leave in the digestive system. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about irritation anywhere, inflammation anywhere, there could be an immune tolerance trigger that's happening at the level of the gut so food sensitivities are a huge issue um, that has to be considered and you know you just ask any pediatrician because they're dealing with kids kids are amazing because they haven't had the years of toxic buildup that adults have and so they respond to things a lot quicker and so, a lot of times, people, um, you know, moms will take out dairy, and their their baby's colic goes away, or their baby's um, eczema goes away. And the same thing happens to adults, Gina, where you know you eat something that could be causing that eczema. So that's an internal reason. Uh, and uh, secondly, as as kind of like a second part to that is that not only is it a food sensitivity potential, but the way that the body processes that is really important and this comes back to your concept that i know you talk about a lot is detox
0: Hmm.
2: and you talk to a lot of conventional doctors they're going to be like what do you mean detox you know like i I hate that word detox (laughs) the body does it every second of every day they detoxes and people don't like the word detox but that's actually what it's actually happening is that you eat that turmeric supplement your body is going to start detoxing it, eliminating it, bio-transforming it, whatever fancy word you want to use. Yeah. It starts changing it to be excreted right away. Right. That happens to any drug. Otherwise we would take one food and we would die because it would accumulate. Your body has to get rid of stuff. Right. But in things like skin conditions, because the skin is a potential escape valve for things that should be coming out through the digestive tract and the Mm. liver and the kidneys, your primary detox organs. If you're getting eczema, there's a potential chance that you are not processing and detoxing through those main three pathways I just talked about, gut, liver, and kidneys, as well as you should be. And is that what they a-
1: talk about liver congestion? Is that like when people talk? Is yeah, that- so
2: that, that, that again, that's the liver congestion is the same thing as tossing adrenal fatigue. It's just this really kind of catch all huh. co- like thing where like, is your liver actually congested? <laughs> have a sniffles, you know, like, no, it doesn't. Okay, but yeah. what, what they really mean is that the liver is processing a lot more antigens and allergic inflammation And it's kind of like the Dawn Valley on the long weekend Friday. It's going to be really backed up. And so we got to get the liver, anything we can do to get the liver processing happening more efficiently, you're going to have less of that backup. Just think about this for a second. Think about the analogy of, of, of traffic and the liver as being the key Kind of like point that all the traffic has to go through. If you have a slower processing speed that goes through the liver and a slower efficiency, there's going to be an accumulation of stuff in the bloodstream because the liver um, filters all the things in your blood. This is basic biochemistry and physiology. And if the liver's slow, you have an accumulation. Now you have all these cars or. You know, allergic molecules back up in the bloodstream, and where do they go? Well, the body doesn't want them in the bloodstream. They're going to be pushed into the tissues, right? Your joints. They're going to be coming out through backup elimination organs, and what is that? Skin is a huge one. So, outcomes things like eczema and redness and inflammation.
1: Inflammation. This is just inflammation. It's all tied into the same thing. Amazing. Okay, let's talk. um, So, how would you know? I guess you would know, like. Should, like, do you get your liver checked? How do you figure out if you have that's the issue?
2: No, you, you, there's no such thing because you could do an ultrasound, you can do blood uh, liver testing, and they would all come back totally normal. Mm-hmm. Liver enzymes, the type of liver tests that are conventionally done here, they're only elevated if there's damage happening in the liver. Remember, mm-hmm. we didn't talk about there's nothing to do with damage. Mm-hmm. Your liver cells, your hepatocytes are not being. Um, hurt in any way, but they are just not able to do their job as quickly. There are those, again, those, those, those those people trying to process a massive line at Costco, like there was on Friday where, you know, went back to the, you know, to the, to the refrigerator section. Well, you just need to have those cashiers are not damaged. Those cashiers are just processing a hell of a lot of stuff.
1: Right. Oh, that's I love that. I love that. So So now
2: it's about processing speed and can we help adding in uh, an extra set of cashiers with maybe some milk thistle and some particular nutrients that are helpful. Yeah, maybe we could. And that's where you can process some of this allergic inflammation out better.
1: No, we won't get into it, but there are supplements and stuff that people could take. Is this where like, I am not a fan of detox teas because your body has a natural ability to detox. I don't think it really needs any help. But I guess in this situation, would you, would you, I mean, obviously milk thistle things that you can take supplements to help supplement, but are you a fan of detox cleanses and teas in general at all?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting, um, because your program is actually all about detox, which you Mm -hmm. already know, right. You know, and you do it, uh, primarily through water. Like you just took a drink, right? So water is one of the simplest ways the body does this. Uh, and so things like herbs and you mentioned milk thistle as being one of them, but in this particular case, milk thistle may be helpful, but it's not one that I would use first off and milk yeah. thistles really shines when there's damage happening to the liver, yeah. like, in, for example, hepatitis. So milk thistle is not one. So, um, there's a lot of these companies that want to capitalize on, on detoxification. So yeah. once you have the principles that you kind of talk about in your program with hydration, in place, there are certain herbs, like for example, artichoke, for example, or dandelion, you can drink nettle tea, which is helpful for, these are all things that will help do their job better. So do I believe in cleanses? Um, as a general rule of thumb, no. Uh, but I do think that there's a place for certain herbs in a therapeutic sense. Okay. Uh, doing a cleanse, is that going to cure your eczema? In my experience, maybe, or maybe not, I'm not sure. But, um, they, it does do something and, uh, most cleanses also, I will say are most are mostly laxative. Yeah. And so that's my biggest issue with that is that they just have a ton of like, you know, rhubarb in there and Turkey tail, all these things that just like blow you out. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, we're not so worried about moving things out that way. We're worried about how do we move cellular out waste bloodstream liver into the gut out. Okay. So it's a combination fiber, hydration, uh, making sure you have the right cofactors. You need all your B vitamins to detoxify properly in through your liver, your minerals, amino acids. So those are five things. And I didn't even mention any sort of like, you know, milk thistle yet. And those yeah. are like key building blocks.
0: Okay.
1: Hair loss. So, you know, people do the program they're supplementing, they're eating all these nutrient rich foods. Yes. They're losing weight. Like can we talk about hair loss, what can you do about it? What's normal? What's not normal?
2: You know, it's interesting. I've had people that have gone through the program that have told me, and I don't know if you've heard this too, that they're just like, you know, they're doing the program, they're doing quite well, and they actually got more hair loss. Uh, yeah. it, it does happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that your body has gone through a change. Yeah. And when you're going through a change of any type, it could be a good thing. Sometimes the road to healing is paved with um, going kind of backwards, you almost have to peel the layers of the onion, but you have to kind of go through the layers back and you kind of get symptoms that have been suppressed sometimes come out. And so there, um, you know, this is a concept in naturopathic medicine that has been known for centuries and it's kind of been forgotten in conventional medicine, but there are these healing crises and we call them detoxes, you know, or the body's detoxing. I hear you talk about that all the time um, naturopathic medicine has kind of gone through this idea of like, you know, um, you know, it's a healing reaction and that sometimes means that you have more symptoms and hair loss could be one of these things as your body eliminates some of the things that have been stored in there for a long time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are subtle hormonal changes that happen. Sometimes there's, um, a, a release of things that actually the body doesn't want to keep, and it can hurt the hair follicle and it can fall out, or it can be to do with stress. Just the simple cortisol that's happening. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So uh, we have to differentiate transient hair loss with something that has to do with like a lot of people post COVID have lost hair. Why? Because of the oxidative inflammatory stress on the hair follicle and their hair falls out. Ah. And yeah, and that's a temporary thing that happens. Uh, similar to the idea with why you lose your smell and taste after COVID for some people.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: 30% of people do that. Yeah. Um, and that's because again, as the, this virus or the oxidative stress that's associated with that can damage some of these more fine, uh, organs and, you know, smell, taste, hair follicles are kind of more sensitive. Um, definitely, hair color follicles are more sensitive to this type of oxidative stress and inflammation, which is why it, it falls out after chemo. First thing it happens is because okay. it's one of those fast kind of dividing cells, and it's more sensitive to stress in the body.
1: Okay, so uh, you know, I think the issue is that people associate hair loss like when they're doing you know other programs or they're starving, they're depriving, they're restricting yeah, nutrients yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So I love that you've clarified that. What can people take? Like people are talking like they take collagen, is it biotin? is it like what? Is it like, what is it? Like, is it just, is that a loaded question for people? Cause it depends be put it on a variety of things.
2: Yeah. There's a huge industry with hair loss. I mean, like yeah. you know, there's, in, internationally, there's a ton of stuff. I have patients traveling around the world and oh, doing to different clinics and trying different supplements, bamboo supplements. And there's, you know, there's a little bit of research on this. I think in general, like what I use is I use like a hair skin and nails, uh, a medical grade hair skin nails formula that has a lot of these like silicone biotin selenium, uh, some antioxidant um, nutrients that have been studied for kind of preventing hair loss, vitamin E is helpful
0: mm-hmm. in
2: this particular case. And then of course, collagen, uh, taking, you know, the, the powder collagen that pe- that, you know, people take as part of the program is not going to prevent their hair loss. Um, I have not seen that therapeutically before, but, um, it's possible that maybe it's preventing it and you would have lost a lot more if you weren't taking yeah. it Yeah, it's hard to know that, uh, hair loss. I find, um, you have to, you have to address that root cause. You know, if you have like the supplements, may or may not be helpful. If you're taking a gummy hair, skin and nails, it's not gonna do anything. It's just not, it's not enough. There's a lot of them out there. Um, There
1: are, there are, yeah.
2: Yeah, in my opinion, just again, my issue with gummies, again, coming from the nutraceutical world, you literally can't load that thing up with enough therapeutic nutrients. There's a a loading capacity to that little juju that you might be taking.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, So I prefer to take it in a capsule. Uh, formulation. So you can definitely try some of those nutrients, um, maybe try one that has all of them together in a capsule form that you have to take maybe two a day. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, and see if that makes a difference.
1: Yeah. Like I know when COVID first hit, I had started getting a bald spot here and I've noticed a couple of times my, my stress levels go up and I, I just make sure I get all my collagen, I add silica, I take my iron, I get my bees in, I just make sure I like take care of myself. Right. You gotta go. We're almost done.
2: No, 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 no. Uh, my my daughter just walked in, so.
1: I just... Oh, so cute. Um, I am. We are. We are, we, are, we do have to go. So one of the things that people are asking about is how do they find a naturopathic doctor? How do they go about that? I mean, obviously people can reach out to you. We put your contact information up. But in general, like we have people from like 53 different countries. What's the best right. way to find them? Is it doctor referral? Is it like your a post on the health food store board? Like <laughs> we <just> Google it. <laughs> like. When, well, how do we find you?
2: The best thing is a personal recommendation. If you know somebody that that um, is in your friend network and know somebody even in you know in the program that they're like, you know, I worked with this doctor, yeah. uh, the biggest concern people have, I think, Gina, is that they're like, concerned that they're, they're going to be messing with your diet plan. And, and mm. I think that, yeah. you know, the reason that they're like, you know what, I really want to go see Dr. Paul's because he knows the plan. Yeah. Uh, that is helpful, but it's not a necessary prerequisite. I, I think that the most natural doctors that are decent in any way are going to assess that, listen, you got some success on this plan. Uh, you know, if, if you, if you're one of those people that had no success on any plan, then maybe you should be open-minded to look at what they're totally going to be saying from cart, you know, from a blank slate. But if you've had any sort of success at all, then I'd suggest that, you know, they're going to be respectful of that. And you just tell them, you know what, I like this plan to me, that's a dream because I have a patient that comes to me and they're like, I'm on a plan. I love it. I'm like, perfect. I don't have to talk about diet at all. It's It's locked in. I don't have to worry about that. Uh, and so look for somebody that, that a person's had a good experience with usually to do with, you know, their acumen, their bedside manner, their rapport, uh, there isn't a particular designation or there isn't a particular keyword on their website that necessarily will tell you anything about them. Uh, And that's the challenge, um, with any doctor, to be honest, you have some amazing cardiologists and you have some really crummy ones and there's no way of really knowing other than your doctor, your friend, your chiropractor, your other healthcare provider. That's actually a really good idea. And now that I'm thinking about it, if you have maybe not your medical doctor, but other healthcare providers that you're already seeing, they probably have a connection with somebody that is in their clinic in their community in their referral network because they're more open to working with naturopathy doctors mm-hmm. you know what go see this doctor so and so they're awesome i know that um you know and then you can say i'm a patient of this other person okay and all of a sudden there's a connection there there's a respect there right away and that would be helpful i think
1: can i ask because this is going to be a can I, i'm just going to ask it anyway like what would red flags be because you know i've worked with people who go see a naturopath they do the, the testing they're, they can't eat eggs can't eat nuts can't eat this can't eat that can't eat everything and then they got to deal with candida cleanses for the next 10 fucking years of their life. Like, are there like, what's, what are some red flags? Because there really aren't, there really are some not great, not great. Ones. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Of course there. I mean, there's not great in every single practitioner class.
1: Yeah, True. True uh, that. True that. Yeah.
2: And, 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 these, and and, and, to your point, I think, and these, unfortunately there's a, there's a bigger variation between the types of naturopathic doctors that are out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Birkenstock wearing, uh, you know, um, grind up some herbs and then drink this awful potion type of yeah. doctor. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, I think that would be the way that they, you know, kind of present themselves, I think would be a really good kind of um, um, approach. Generally, if they're looking, if you're looking for a very evidence-based doctor, they will probably say that right away. That would be the reputation that they would have.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, you know, if they have a whole bunch of these kind of wacky gizmos, they hook you up to like Vega machines and, They do all these kind of really funky um, out there analyses, then maybe that's something that I would have as a red flag because they're, you know, that like really great medicine comes down to listening to the Mm patients, doing good deductive clinical investigation, using comprehensive lab assessments, and then some additional personalized testing if required yeah. uh, after that. And that's usually a great barometer if they're trying to sell you a $2,000 package up front, And this yeah. is mainly for people outside of Ontario, cause that's really not allowed in Ontario, but uh, that's usually a giveaway that I don't, I personally don't like that because yeah. it's not personalized. It's like yeah. you're getting a total package and then you have to commit to this program of mm-hmm. $5,000 a year just to kind of be part of it. Yeah you know, some integrative doctors that I've, I've worked with are now starting going that model because they think it's more lucrative, but I just don't think it's good medicine.
1: Yeah. I just like, there's, there's lots of things that we could do for here to be more lucrative too. And it's just, it's just, I got to be able to sleep at night and I want to actually help people.
2: (laughs) Same for sure. Same for me. Right. Like it comes down to like great personal care with, with people. And then to be honest, you know, it's like, it's like, you kind of have to just, just like you have to find a good massage therapist, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to maybe do a couple, and like go have okay. Okay. A, a great option is to go have like a meet and greet. A lot of these doctors have like meet and greet options where it's like a complimentary five, 10, 15 minute chat of being like, Hey, I just want to ask him a couple questions. What do you think about, you know, what's your approach to weight loss? Hmm. Ask him that question. Okay. You know, great. Um, how do you, how do you do assessments? You know, what type of, um, how often do you want to see me? Uh, you know, if they're like, yeah, I need to see you every two weeks. That's probably too often. Uh, check out if they have programs, uh, reviews nowadays are really hard to kind of, you know, like you can buy reviews really easily. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know, like Google, like some of the best doctors I know are not on even on Google because it's all word of mouth. Like yeah. I don't do any advertising whatsoever because I just don't need to. And so the one that's on the top of Google ads doesn't mean that they're the best.
0: Mm.
1: Well, this is why I love you, you know, open con- conversation and dialogue, right? Um, speaking of, let's definitely chat about, because all of these things we could totally expand on and talk about more in depth in the, in the maintenance group and have these kind of conversations about leveling up in general and your health and wellness and other ways. I, I'm kind of sad because this is our last, this is our last chat with you, this group, ah! but I'm not, because I'll get to do it all over again. Yeah, next. we'll
2: do it again. And, you know, <laughs> in a sense it's, I'm actually really, um, There's a, there, there's, there's got to be a, a degree of kind of like patting yourself on the back that anyone that's in the group has made it through this far. And yeah. so if you're one of those people that have kicked ass on this group and done a really great job on trying to level up your health and I, I give you yeah. a huge kudos. So, uh, and if you don't, don't give up. So many people have gone through a program. You and I, Gina, have talked about this a lot. I talk yeah. about my patients a lot, just yes. cause you haven't lost, uh, your goal. Um, doesn't mean that you it's been all for in, in vain. There's a lot yeah. of non-scale victories. And there's a lot of things that sometimes it takes multiple sessions to get to, yeah. and your body's just really stubborn in certain ways, but maybe it's helped in, in, in other ways. So don't give up. I love that. Continue, And um, hopefully we'll see you in the fall.
1: Love it. Amazing. As always. Love it. Love great you. Summer. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone yeah. for joining You're us.
2: Welcome.
1: Enjoy that You're little welcome. baby. Take lots of photos for us. <laughs>
2: yeah. My wife's good with that. She'll like <laughs> check out her Instagram feed on that, but uh, all the best
1: everyone. Enjoy your summer. Bye. Thank you.